Sometimes as a preacher, you think you got a pretty good sermon, and then you have someone give the children's message and sing a song that's better than anything I wrote down in my sermon. <laughs> and then you kneel at the altar and you pray, Lord, let people enjoy my sermon. And then the kids come and kneel next to me and they start saying the Lord's Prayer. It takes everything in me to not burst into tears. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have a friend, his name is Kenneth Tanner, and he is a priest who defies all sorts of labels. He is both charismatic and he's Anglican, which means he's Pentecostal and high church at the same time. His church has uh, Greek Orthodox icons surrounding the altar, and the band plays songs by U2. He wears a collar just about every day, and when necessary, he says things you'd never imagine hearing from the voice and the mouth of a priest. He serves a church called Holy Redeemer. It's outside of Detroit, Michigan. I was talking to Ken earlier this week because last week he got a phone call in the middle of the day, an urgent phone call to go to the nearby Meyer. It's a grocery store chain. It was right next to Oxford High School, which had just experienced a mass school shooting. So Ken arrived at the Meyer and he stood among all of the gathered parents who were desperately waiting to be reunited with their children immediately after the incident. Teachers were there too, themselves having just experienced the trauma. And even the employees of the grocery store were still working but trying their best to minister to the needs of these families and these teachers. Ken told me that he was there for hours, hours and hours ministering to and among the families helping to connect kids with their parents. And then eventually it became clear that there were a few families at the grocery store that afternoon who no longer had children with whom they could be reunited. Ken told me that his experience of the darkness in the moment, the total and the utmost despair, led him once again to the conclusion that either Christ is resurrected from the dead or there is nothing. I don't know if it's been your experience in the past, but to me it seems like we are confronted by the harsh realities of life during this season of the year most. The rates of depression and suicide skyrocket these weeks, more CPS reports are filed, all while we decorate our houses with twinkling lights, we tune our radios to hear the same 25 songs over and over and over again. When I talked to Ken this week, he said, whenever I come this close to the darkness, even in the midst of its most horrifying degrees, the only thing that I can cling to is that God is our salvation. God is the only hope we've got. That, in a sense, is what Isaiah says to us today. Surely God is my salvation. Come to the wells that will never run dry. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon God's name. Make known God's deeds among the people. Sing it to the whole earth. God is with us. That's a powerful word, a very powerful word, particularly for those who sit among the ruins, for those who are overwhelmed by darkness, for those who don't experience this time as the most wonderful time of the year. 
You know, in life we're told again and again who we are. We're labeled with all sorts of things, whether it's our jobs, our vocations, our mistakes, our shortcomings. It's usually something negative. We can receive 100 compliments and one critique, and it's the one critique that we hold on to. And after time, we start to believe that the critique, whether it's true or not, is more determinative regarding our identity than anything else. We internalize those things so deeply that we become what we fear. And yet in the life of faith, we don't know who we are until God tells us. God tells us who we are. And the church at her best functions as this proper mirror by which we can actually see ourselves. We lift up the cross as the reflections for us to see who we really, really are. The church exists to tell the truth. Nothing but the truth. The whole truth. The truth is that we are sinners in need of grace. And that Jesus is the power in our lives who can make us more than we would ever be otherwise. Now that doesn't mean that the church exists so that I can tell you to be better and better and better and better. We don't get together to rejoice about how good we are to slap ourselves on the back, congratulate ourselves. We're not a gym. We're not a self-help program. We're the church. We believe that Jesus has already overcome the world. That Jesus has already changed us. The only thing we have to do is act accordingly. Which can be both extremely easy and dangerously difficult. Surely God is our salvation. That's good news. But it's hard news. Because if God is our salvation, then it means we are not. And if there's one thing we don't like to do, it's to give up control. There will always be things in life that we choose to trust instead of the Lord. We will choose to cling to the powers and the principalities. We will even lean on our own abilities to do certain things, but those things are called idols, and they will never give us life. They cannot and they will not bring us the love and the salvation we so desperately need. Let me tell you, there is no gift under the tree that will bring the fulfillment we need. There's no promotion at work that will prevent us from the anxiety of what tomorrow might bring. There's no perfect parent who can fill us with just the right amount of love, just as there's no champion of a child who can fill the holes in our souls. And yet when we don't know where else to turn, it's those things that we turn to. Isaiah's proclamation is for a people who have no home in this world. It is for strangers living in a strange land. Whether it's the exile of Babylon or the places we find ourselves in today when we're surrounded by objects and obsessions that promise life, but they only give death. This is a word from the prophet for us. It is for us because Isaiah calls for a celebration of God's salvation to a land and to a people that is in the darkness of God's judgment. Now, we're Methodists. We don't ever talk about judgment. And if we do, it's, hey, remember Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. Go and do likewise. And yet God is the God of judgment. God holds up these scriptures and God calls us to task. Look at what we've done. Look at what we've become. Those stories that we watch on the news, the things we read about on Twitter, the ones that leave us quaking, they're about us. They're not about other people in some far off distant land. It's a, this is what we've done. This is the culture we've created. This is the culture we've said we want. And that's a difficult word for us to hear. It's difficult because we're addicted to control or at least thinking we're in control. I mean, we make these lists 
Make sure, make sure we have all the right gifts for all the right people. We map out the perfect holiday meals and grocery store runs just so we'll have enough ingredients for the essential meal we're going to have. We curate these playlists of just the right songs to put us and everybody else in the right mood. And that's just what we do during Advent. The rest of the year, we do everything we can, explicitly, implicitly, doesn't matter, to make sure that we never have to bump into the wrong types of people. That we never have to go to that part of town. We turn on the news at night and we assure ourselves, oh, that will never ever happen to us. Until it does. We build up these stories about who we are and what we stand for, all the while everything around us is crumbling. And yet Jesus is our salvation. The strange new world of the Bible bombards us with this declaration that Jesus is the only thing we need to live a life out of control. Discipleship is just training on how to learn to live out of control. Faith is just a word for letting go of our obsession to try to fix everything. If we take seriously the gospel, everything has already come out right because we've seen the end in Jesus. The end that is Jesus makes it possible for us to go on even though we don't know where we are. Now that's not to say we can't do or change anything. There's a lot we need to do. There's a lot we need to change. Learning to live out of control means we're going to suffer. These are words for people who are suffering. The exile of then and the exile of now. It's for people in between times. It's for Advent people. Advent, therefore, is this bewildering opportunity not to turn away from the darkness, but to stare right into the heart of it. All while knowing that Christ will always shine. And we take Christ's light, not our own light, we take Christ's light, light whether it's our prayers or our singing, our walking or talking, and we live according to Christ's light, rather than the darkness that leads to nothing but fear. You know the old hymn? I will cling to the old rugged cross. You know why? Because the cross is in the shadow of death. But it's there in anticipation of the new dawn that is redeeming grace. Because if this is it, if this is it, this world, despite the efforts of even good people, if this is it, then that's nothing but bad news. I don't know, maybe, maybe this isn't the right time to talk about this stuff. It is Advent, after all. We've got a Christmas tree here in the sanctuary. I've got a job that I love. I've got food in my refrigerator. I've got a wife and a child who love me. At least they say they do. i got everything I need. Maybe, this, I don't, maybe you're like me. But I assure you, there are a lot of people a lot of people for whom this world, this life, it's just been one disappointing misery after another. There are families in Michigan this year who are going to wake up on Christmas morning without a teenager that they had a few weeks ago. There are families here in Roanoke who have no bright hope of tomorrow because all they see is darkness. There are people in our church, in our pews every week who are terrified of the future because the only thing they ever hear is bad news. But the church exists to proclaim good news. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has come to make all things new, even you and me. So maybe that's why you're here. Perhaps you've come to church not to hear a few tips and tricks about how to make it through another week, but maybe you're here to have your minds blown, your imaginations open. Maybe you're here because you want something to hope for. There is no greater hope than this. God is our salvation. God does that for us, 
that for us which we cannot do, God saves us. If our hope is only in us, only in what we can do, then we have no hope at all. But by the grace of God, we have all the hope of the world because hope is born in that little manger in Bethlehem. Born to live and die and live again. Born to set us free. Born to return with the resurrection of the dead. Born to change the world. So you see, that's why we actually set up the decorations. Whether they're the ones at my house or Clark Griswold with 25,000 Christmas lights. We do so not as a denial of what the world is doing, but we do so as defiance to the powers and the principalities that rule through darkness. We set up lights because they remind us that Jesus has redeemed us from the temptation that violence is the only answer. Violence only ever begets more violence. Ever. We set up lights in anticipation of the one who returns to us with holes in his hands. And the first thing he says is, I forgive you. We Christians practice resurrection, which means we live according to the good news of the gospel, which means we're different. We belong to a new age and a new time, and a new kingdom in which death is not the end, in which violence is not the answer. And we can rejoice. And it's not naivete. We don't come to church to pretend that everything that's out there isn't really out there. We come here precisely because the darkness that we experience is so overwhelming that we have to have something we can cling to in the midst of it. Thanks be to God that something has a name. It's Jesus. God is our salvation. That is the only reason we can rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice. Rejoice. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.